Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and world. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello, I am Reverend Dr. Angela Raven-Anderson, and I am delighted to be with you again for this section of Intersectionality Matters, where race, gender, and religion collide. We are examining and expanding our understanding of God and who God is calling us to be uh, as we are being uh, informed at this intersection point of race gender, and religion. We are going to be talking about the combination of liberation, womanist, and egalitarian theologies as a way of understanding God's kingdom that not only saves, but embraces, restores, uplifts, and transforms all who would enter therein. Our view of the kingdom, I believe, is stretched and expanded when we consider the learned um, wisdom gained in the life experiences of women of color, women who live at this point, this place of intersection. So let's listen to their voices as they move us beyond the stained glass ceiling. And today, I am delighted to welcome to our broadcast, Reverend Dr. Irie Lynn Session. Dr. Irie Lynn Session is certainly a sister beloved of mine, and I'm so delighted for her to be with us today. But I want to share with you a little bit about who she is, uh, because then you'll be as impressed as I am. Uh, Dr. Irie Lynn Session is an award-winning pastor, author, TEDx presenter, spiritual entrepreneur, and a womanist practitioner who was born in Hawkins, Texas, and raised in New York City housing projects. She's a church planter and a co-pastor of The Gathering, a womanist church of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, in Dallas, Texas. She is also president of the National Convocation of the Christian Church. She's been a pastor with the Disciples of Christ for 16 years and was ordained in 2007. She holds an undergraduate degree in social work from Oklahoma Christian University, a master's of divinity with a certificate in black church studies from Bright Divinity School at Texas uh, Christian University and a doctor of ministry in transformative leadership and prophetic preaching from Colgate Rochester Crozer Divinity School in Rochester, New York. Dr. Irie is also the founder and CEO of Dream Big Consulting, where she supports black women to excavate their latent passions, and creativity, leveraging their professional expertise and experience to use technology, social media, digital platforms to create economic autonomy. Dr. Ari is also a professor for the course of study schools at Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University and an adjunct professor at Bright Divinity School at Texas Christian University. She is also the 2019 recipient of a $15,000 pastoral study project grant from Louisville Institute. 
Her project was titled Womanist Ecclesiologies, Black Women Resisting White Supremacist Capitalist Patriarchy. Also in 2019, Dr. Irie was inducted into the Board of Preachers in the Martin Luther King Jr. International College of Ministers and Laity at Morehouse College. Uh, before going into ministry full time, Dr. Irie was dedicated uh, for over 30 years uh, providing social work services and ministering to thousands of men, women, and children who are marginalized by society due to histories of um, incarceration, substance abuse, commercial sexual exploitation, uh, and even those who were ravaged and um, victimized by HIV AIDS. Uh, besides all of these things, she's also authored several books, including Badass Women of the Bible, Murdered Souls, Resurrected Lives, and she's also co-authored a book entitled The Gathering, A Womanist Church, Origins, Stories, Sermons, and Litanies. And on top of all of that, Dr. Irie is the adoring single mother to one beautiful daughter, 27-year-old India Liana. So uh, her motto is, and I want to make sure I share this, her motto is doing what I can, wherever I can, whenever I can, to create a more just church and society. Dr. Irie, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, my sister beloved Angela, Dr. Angela. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say that you earned that, my sister. Good yes. Well, I'm so glad to have you here. Absolutely. It is. Um, I'm just excited and such God ordained that um, we would be able to spend this time together. One of the things that uh, I, I want us to jump right in today because we don't have much time. And so I, I want to get into this idea of womanist theology as part of what you did your doctorate work uh, around. And um, it, it is a view that that I, I, I really want our listeners to begin to understand what is womanist theology? Yeah, well, um, in, in the question, I want to respond to it based on the question that you sent me. You, you asked me what exactly is womanist <laughs> theology, right? Exactly. And so I want to start by saying I wouldn't use the word exactly, right, in describing womanist theology or really, for that matter, any constructive theological proposition, right? Because okay. theology ought to be ever expanding, right? Yes. Because frankly, I believe that theology um, ought to be expanding rather than a fixed set of theoretical and philosophical propositions, right? That seek to place God in a box right. of one's making to suit uh, one's own purposes, right? Um, so I would, however, share with you how I understand womanist theology today, November 15th, 2021. <laughs> Okay, right? uh, But before I go there, let me offer my understanding of theology as God talk. Yes. Right? Theology is the process, I believe, by which people come to understand and talk about God. Theology is the study and the articulation of one's understanding of God's nature, who God is, what God cares about, and what God does and how God does what God does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so, right. So, and, okay, so there's another caveat. Before explaining womanist theology, I need to talk about womanism, right? It's okay. a term 
described by Alice Walker in her book, In Search of Our Mother's Garden, In Search of Our Mother's Gardens. In that book, Walker describes womanism as derived from the phrase heard by many young Black uh, girls, you acting womanish. Come on now. Uh, and defines a womanist as a Black female who wants to know more and in greater depth than is really considered good for oneself, right? She is outrageous, courageous, and exhibits willful behavior. Um, Walker says she is responsible, serious, and in charge. She lives a committed, she lives a life committed to the survival and wholeness of entire peoples, male and female. She loves other women and takes their experiences seriously. And she loves herself regardless. Yes. That's how Walker, uh, in a nutshell, kind of ex explains or uh, delineates womanism, right? So womanism allows women to claim their roots, claim our roots in Black history, religion, and culture. Uh, womanist, uh, postmodern womanist scholar Monica Coleman describes womanist theology as a, and I quote, response to sexism in Black theology and the racism in feminist theology. Okay. Womanist theologians who are Christian want to maintain our connection to Black men and remain faithful to the Black religious tradition, while at the same time, recognizing the need to critique and call the Black church to account for its inherent Black patriarchal ideology and praxis, right? So, um, so it, is a, it is a way of doing theology that takes into account racism, sexism, classism, these intersections that you're, that you're talk, talking right. about. Right? So the underlying norm, I believe, of womanist theology is resistance. Right. Um, uh, and, and, and traditionally, it in, uh, informed or progressive black women of faith. We've always resisted those things in culture and even in the Bible that are antagonistic to our sense of identity and basic instincts for survival. Right. There's this story of um, Howard Thurman's mom. Right. Who would read the Bible. And she had issues with Paul. Right. Issues with Paul uh, placing women in a box. She was not necessarily what we would call a womanist theologian of that time. But she she saw that there's something oppressive about the ways in which many of Paul's texts regarding women had been interpreted to her. Right. And so she evicted those things. She she had a hermeneutic of suspicion. Right. Way back then. And so black women have always done that kind of work. The thing that makes womanist theology different is that we name what we're doing. Right? OK. OK. Because most people who attend seminary have some theological education. What they're really learning is white male interpretations. But nobody calls it that. Right. Yeah, well, you they saw he's talking about the dead Germans. <laughs> exactly, white male dead Germans, right? That's what that's the lens through which we're uh, we have been theologized in, right? Uh, so we're naming what we're doing, which is uh, which is uh, I think very integrous, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. in a nutshell, that's how I would you know talk about womanist theology. Okay, well, 
So with that understanding, though, let me ask you, is this something that has, is there any even value of exploring it beyond just those of us within the Black culture? Is there is there value for understanding this perspective, understanding the ways that um, uh, a, a, a womanist hermeneutic is there value for the entire body of, of Christ? Or is this something that is just something that needs to be explored more within uh, the African-American church? Is, is, is it just localized there for the, for the African-American church? Well, let me, let me address the African-American church for a minute by sharing a conversation that I had with a male church leader, right, to illustrate the value of this woman, woman is hermeneutic. On one occasion, um, I was at a, a church, at a black church, um, and a male leader of the church uh, I attended advised me. He said to me, he said, the trouble with women, he didn't say black women, he said the trouble with women is y'all think you're equal to men. Now, this was a man who was in a leadership position in the church. Mm-hmm. Now, he based his position uh, that our problem is that we think we're equal to men. He based that proposition on an interpretation of Genesis chapter two, verses 21 and 22, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the male church leader, he was attempting to make a case for the inferiority of women. And he interpreted the Genesis text to mean that since the male was created first, which is what that text kind of talks about, since the male was created first, and was given power and authority to name the woman, right? So he had naming rights. That that meant he interpreted that that meant he was superior to the woman, mm-hmm. right? So because black women live at this intersection of race, gender, and class oppression, we would interpret that text, of course, very differently, right? right? Uh, we understand that if Black women are liberated, it would mean that every system of oppression would be dismantled, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so it has benefit for the Black church. It has benefit for the larger Christian world because it recognizes that as... um, Uh, Malcolm X posited, right, the Black woman is the most disrespected, unprotected, you know, marginalized human being on the planet. And so when we address those disparities, when we address that injustice, it means that everybody is set free. Right, right. And here's the thing that that is interesting to me, uh, Angela, is that even the secular world, understands the importance of leveling the playing field for Black women. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Goldman Sachs has something that they call the one million, the one Black, uh, I'm sorry, the one million Black women program, right? The Ford Foundation has their Black Feminist Fund. Goldman Sachs has done extensive research on what they call Black womenomics, which makes the case for investing in black women. Their research has shown that one of the fastest ways to accelerate change and effectively begin to address the racial wealth gap is to listen to 
and invest in black women, right? And so this is these are things that the secular world is doing, right? They and, it, and again, it lifts the whole boat. The whole boat. That's the whole boat. Saying. And yeah. they've got tons and tons of research. You can just Google, right? One million black women, Goldman Sachs, all this research that they've done that shows when you lift up black women, you lift up the world. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That's and so okay. So and then taking this into understanding, particularly when we think through within the church of ministering to the margins, um, I, I find that when we begin to at least listen to the and value the lived experiences, it gives us a different understanding of God. Uh, yes. One of one of the the things that I always love, I think about the story with Hagar, right? The Egyptian slave that gets sent into the, into the wilderness. And it's Hagar in her ability to cry out to God that names God El Roy. She called because he's the God who sees and hears me. It is her experience of being pushed out that lets us have another dimension and understanding of God that is lifted in the scriptures. Um, I'm curious to 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 ask you, uh, what do you think of this notion that there there is value in how we begin to at least hear the experiences of women of color? How, how can the church where what 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 are the ways that the church can grow can um really look like the kingdom of God when we begin when we begin to value and hear and listen and glean from these experiences. I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, I mean clearly it's something that I believe in and I value and that I think ought to be prioritized because we have a, and when I say we, I mean Black women, and I'm delineating Black women from women of color. I'm being very specific when okay. I talk about Black women's experiences and Black women's perspectives, right? Because we have what um, Kelly Brown Douglas refers to as an epistemological advantage, right? Or uh, uh, my co-pastor, Reverend Camila Hall Sharp, says an epistemological insight into the social realities of the world that other people do not have because of how we live and how we have been marginalized and oppressed, right? So we see things, we have a perspective that no one else has, but that the world needs to help understand at a very foundational level what the problems are, but also how to address them. Mm. You know, Sojourner Truth talked about women turning the world right side up. I believe that Black women, specifically womanists, and a womanist hermeneutic has the potential to turn the world right side up, right? Mm -hmm. And so in my congregation, for example, my congregation, the gathering, is a racially diverse congregation. People would probably think because it's, you know, pastored by two black women that 
the majority that, you know, that it's a black church proper, right? That the majority of our members are black, but no, no, no. The yeah, that's not women, true. <laughs> white women, white men, Asian men, black men, white women, black women, you know, all these groups are participating and ministry partners with the gathering. I say ministry partners because we don't have members. We have ministry partners, right? But but they're finding value and they're learning things and they're hearing the gospel preached. They're hearing the good news preached through a womanist hermeneutic that even speaks to their lived experiences. Yes. And so that is amazing, right? Yes. And, and it's not like the people who are non-Black who attend our congregation are like somehow pushed to the periphery, right? To the side. They are central to our worship, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And very actively involved and engaged. But there's something um, that they are receiving um, and and something that they are hearing and learning that in very deep ways speaks to their souls Mm -hmm. and that they need it to understand what's really happening in the world and how God would have us to respond to it. So womanist theology, womanist hermeneutic is transformational for the world. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have also uh, often, and you kind of said this a little bit, just uh, have thought of womanist theology as the blending of liberation and kind of a feminist view is it's bringing is the marrying of the two so that we have this view of a God who sees us, who lifts us, uh, who, who frees us from the oppression. Um, but, but this God who has placed within us his very essence. I mean, the David talks about that humanity. We we are a little lower than God, right? We are the reflection of God. We are, we we are those who just even the angels are are amazed by the creation of humanity, uh, which is interesting because we're always so amazed by the angels, but the angels are yeah, amazed by are. us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, in in this understanding. Um, and particularly in this time that we are living in, where there's uh, so much division in our country, and we're in and the wounds of the deep-seated racism um, that we we don't even I don't even think um, black or white that sometimes we are uh, conscious of all the ways that privilege. Um, is experienced um, a- as African Americans. I think we're sometimes not even aware of the ways that we have to. I mean, we are aware. We we comport our we we change and comport ourselves for all these different situations, right? Where we find ourselves in. However, I think as we are looking into the scriptures, looking to the Bible for how to lead us through and how to bring us to a space where we're, because of course, what God desires for us, what we see in the prayer that Jesus offers is that we would be one in God. So I guess my question then becomes, does, does, is, is there a place in these theologies that can hold space for difference or do we all have to be the same? 
well, God didn't make us all the same. So, I mean, no, we don't have to all, I don't, I don't think we do. One of the things that I appreciate about womanist uh, theology and womanism is one of the tenets of womanist, womanism is that um, it, it is, um, again, concerned about the survival and wholeness of entire peoples, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that tenet is traditional communalism is what yes. the proper phraseology of that term is, which means that people bring with them certain cultural values, um, certain ways of thinking and being in the world mm-hmm. that, uh, that are pluses that add to this beautiful tapestry of diversity that God has created and that it should be honored, right? God, one of the aspects of God's nature is that God is creator, which means God has creativity, which Mm -hmm. means that we do too. And our creativity uh, ought to be valued and honored and respected by one another, right? As long as it is uplifting and building up and creating and adding to, right? Not detracting from our humanity. Right. Um, So I I definitely believe that there is a place for difference, right? Um, And and that um, God set it up that way. Right. Well, and, and uh, what was that term again that you used? Communal? Tra- tra- traditional, traditional communalism. Traditional communalism. And I think that this falls in line with what we see in the scriptures, right? And even what we heard Dr. King talking about, the creation of the beloved community, right? This, as, as, we, be, as we begin to think about what is the kingdom of God and how we saw in the ministry of Jesus, his embracing of all those that were on the margins, all those who were in his context considered other, the Samaritan woman. Um, the Seraphonician woman, those who were the other, the Roman centurion, he was willing to minister, embrace, love, care for, heal, restore all of these people who in that context in society were pushed away. So I think as we're beginning to, th- and, uh, and who who had been in conflict, right? Uh, Samaritans in conflicts with Jews, Romans with Jews, you know, the the whole different aspects that we see still translate to our world today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so as we're thinking about, like you're saying in this um, kind of womanist hermeneutic and, and how um, we're, we're looking as one from the margin what it means to what it means to be on the margin right of of a society and then what it also feels like uh to make sure that there's inclusion for all that there's a place for everyone to be to move towards center yeah and see what what racism what sexism what all the isms do by very nature of what we call them is divide mm-hmm. is separate right Um, But what we see in Jesus is 
Jesus was with people. Jesus mm-hmm. was with the people, as you just delineated. He was with the people who were, who were considered, right, the throwaways, who right. were considered, you know, the ones you want to stay away from, that the good, the good upstanding religious folk, right, don't want to be near, don't want to touch, don't want to talk to, right? But those are the ones that Jesus, that had Jesus's ear and whose ear Jesus had, right? And so when you think about as Black women being on the top end of every health and economic disparity, I think Jesus would be coming and listening to us and what (laughs) we have to say, right? Yes. Uh, not that he wouldn't listen to anybody else, but what? But in the scripture, where did Jesus go? To the most marginalized people in the community and said, no, y'all got it wrong. Yes. This is what love looks like. Yes. Right? This is what love looks like. Love looks like bringing these people in, listening to their hearts, meeting their needs, and creating a level playing field where all voices are matter and, yes. and are honored. And so for so hundreds of years, Black women's voices have not been being heard and respected and listened to. Yes. We have something to say, beloved, that can transform the thinking, being, and doing of our world, yes. which is why I've had... Um, Dr. Angela, a new um, appreciation for Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, right? Where Paul says, do not be conformed (laughs) to the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is racism. The pattern of this world is white supremacy culture. The pattern of this world is hierarchy, right? Right. Uh, Somebody's got to be at the top, which means somebody's got to be at the bottom. Paul said, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, you need to be transformed. You need to have Mm. a new mind. You need to have a different way of thinking about this whole thing, right? Yes, yes. Theology gives us a different way of thinking about this. It is a a transforming of the mind. Yes. Oh, yes. That's so good. That's so good. I want to ask you, uh, it, particularly in your situation, just because you, you mentioned your congregation, and I know that you've pastored other congregations that were predominantly white congregations. As we're thinking through this, uh, when particularly when I think about ecclesial practices, right, how um, I, I'm curious what may have been some of the challenges that your race and your gender and or or both, because I, I, I don't know how we can exactly separate any of that, could right. be, but, but have you found those aspects of your identity to bring challenges additional to the role of pastorate that some other, a, a white male may not have experienced or even a black male may not have experienced? Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> and and frankly, Dr. Angela, there are too many to enumerate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have been <laughs> deeply wounded um, as a pastor in traditional church settings because of uh, my race and my gender um, to the point of being... Uh, just disrespected 
Mm-hmm. Um, see my voice, my perspectives, my presence, um, being questioned, being invalidated, dev- all of those kinds of things mm-hmm. to the point that I pretty much was done with traditional church and certainly being a pastor uh, of, of established congregations because the, 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 the racism, the patriarchy is just so embedded. Um, and, and so when I sense God calling me to plant a church, well, uh, obviously I was resistant at first to that even, right. but, but that has been so healing for me uh, in mm. the past because um, I am able to be authentic. I am able to be fully a fully Black woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And the people who align themselves with the gathering want that. Okay. They want what we have to offer. They appreciate my perspectives, my theological insights and understandings as a Black woman in the 21st century. And they recognize the healing power of that for themselves. Yes. So I could not have stayed, I could not have continued to subject myself to the abuses that impacted both myself and my daughter. Wow. I could not have I could not have continued to do that. So it what advice so do you give for those who find themselves in that situation, in those types of situations? How how, how can a woman reclaim her voice, reclaim her um, culture? How how do you how do you do that in those in those spaces? Well, let me just say this. Every woman is different. Every black woman is different. And some women, like I have a sister friend right now who I'm sure you know, I don't want to call her out, but she pastors and she was called to here in Dallas, a predominant, a all white church, a large affluent white church. She is the first black woman that that church has ever called. She is uniquely shaped for that kind of ministry. Now, that is not to say that it does not come with difficulty and hardship because it still does. Yes. I'm not shaped for that. Mm -hmm. So so every woman, you got to know who you are. You have to know what God has called you to do and how God shaped you, right? But with Mm -hmm. all of that, I think every Black woman who is a pastor of any kind of church needs a community of, first of all, Black clergy sisters. Yes. Who she can keep it 100 with at all times, where she can go and talk to and pour out her heart and get empathy and understanding and have other women to walk alongside of her, right? Also, it's important, I have brothers who get it. Right. I have brothers who support um, black women and who are womanist allies who I can talk to, who support me, who build me up. Right. Who get it. And so it's important to have community 
um, to be able to walk alongside of you to help you handle the burdens of being a Black woman in ministry. Yes, 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 yes. That's very true. Very true. Um, and and kind of tying with this, um, well, transitioning just a little bit because we're, we're running short on time, but I wanted to just touch on one other subject because I know that uh, you and I have had the opportunity to stand uh, and do some justice work together. And um, I, I fully move into these spaces, really kind of understanding that it's God work. Um, it is It is not just about yelling and me do, wanting my personal rights, but this is God work. And so I just was kind of curious about what is it... Um, how is that motivated for you, the doing the justice work by your view of God and who God wants us to be in the world? Yeah, great, great question. Um, and and one of my joys actually was going to DC and and seeing you there and us, <laughs> you know, marching together. That was just so beautiful and wonderful to me. It's two black women who were reared and theologized in the churches of Christ. Right. Yes. That was just even today. I'm just honored by that. But yes, so it is, listen, Dr. Angela, I just believe it's right. Mm -hmm. I don't have a whole bunch of stuff to say about that. I believe that God loves us Mm -hmm. and God wants us to love one another, but evil wants us to hate each other. Evil wants us to be indifferent to one another, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Evil wants power over. Love reimagines power as a shared enterprise. Yes, yes. And I just believe that. And I believe that as a a person who has been called by God to be in relationship with God and Jesus Christ, right, that, that that is part of my vocation. That is part of my Christian vocation. It's just the right thing to be doing. Yes, yes. You know, I, I, you know, and, and of course it does. It's in line with, you know, the womanist tenets. That's, we show up. Yeah. We show up for people other than ourselves. Yes. Other than our families. We, we, we are voices for people who are voiceless, who have been muted by, you know, economic disparities, by health disparities, who can't get a living wage, who, you know, we, we are their voices, yes. right? Uh, as uh, John the Baptist said of Jesus, right? Voices of, of himself, a voice crying in the wilderness. In the but wilderness. In the wilderness of an unjust system, yes. right? And yes. so we, we have to be that voice. Uh, and that it's just a, 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 an imperative for me. Um, so. Yeah. Well, that's what I have to say about that. Well, that says plenty. That says plenty that that part of this um, understanding of God pushes us as well to speak for those, right? Who, like you said, cannot speak for themselves. That that is part of the work that God calls us to, not only the saving of souls, but the restoring of lives and and the redeeming and and bringing people to wholeness. Well, I am so delighted. Uh, Our time went so by so quickly. Thank you so much for being 
with me today, um, I am, this is a dual week. Uh, y'all don't know, Dr. Irie, she and I could talk all day long about yeah, everything. <laughs> and uh, she is one that I, like I said, I truly admire. Uh, she's full of wisdom and encouragement and just so much joy. So thank you so much today for sharing with our listeners. And I want to thank each one of our listeners for joining us. And I would invite you to stay tuned for all the brand new episodes that are going to continue to come weekly from the incredible team of hosts that we have for Mutuality Matters. In the meantime, go to the show notes and learn how you can follow and support the new members of our podcast of our podcast and be sure to follow CBE international on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, you can go to our website at www.cbeinternational.org for even more content. Subscribe to the blog, magazine, and academic journals. Watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events. And you can visit the bookstore where you can find a ton, a ton, a ton of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. Well, I am Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson, and I thank you for joining us today. I also want to give a shout out to Landon, who is our support tech. Thank you. He makes us sound good. And to the whole team of CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thank you for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.